This is the Bobcats, a Bob Dylan fan podcast. It all exists, you know, the present exists, the past exists, and the future exists. It all exists. Early one morning the sun was shining, I was laying in bed. The Zen, Zen philosophy, I think it's Zen philosophy. I mean, you just live in the present, you know, but that statement is more complicated than uh, meets the eye, really, or meets the ear. But it's all the same, the past, the present, and the future. I was standing on the side of the road, rain falling on my shoes. Heading out for the East Coast, Lord knows I paid some dues getting through. Hello again, everybody, and welcome back to the Bobcats, the podcast where I get to know other Bob Dylan fans and talk to them about, you guessed it, Bob Dylan. I'm your host, Matt Steichen. Today's guest is a true Renaissance man. He's an author, an artist, a historian, a self-titled creative person, a big Bob Dylan fan, and he does it all while maintaining an outstanding blog called Anyman's Territory. Today's guest is Ed Newman. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Doing just great. Thank you, Matt. So your hair's a lot longer than uh, the last time I saw you. You you look uh, like you've been uh, in quarantine, chopping wood maybe a little bit. Feeding the geese, yes, shoveling snow, chipping ice. Uh, the uh, second vaccine is tomorrow, so then I'll get a haircut next uh, week. Great, it great. Was, it was fun. Yeah, you look like a, a rugged man of the North Country, so that's great. <laughs> I feel like it sometimes. <laughs> Pete Seeger died chopping wood, so I'm kind of planning to emulate him a little <laughs> bit in that regard. Well, let's make it past that. Um, so let me let me tell people where yeah. I know you from, first of all. Anybody who's followed Bob Dylan online over the last 20 years as that medium has grown, is uh, you know, following what's going on and expecting rain. And for a while now, you've had your blog, Anyman's Territory which is at pioneerproductions.blogspot.com. And the subhead on that uh, great blog is Arts, Culture, and Other Life Obsessions. It's always been a you know blog that I've really enjoyed reading. It's really well-written, and it's got a, a lot of great Bob Dylan content. So what's the story behind you starting that blog? Well, as you know, social media uh, came along after the internet phase one was developing. I've been involved with the internet since 1994, actually earlier than the World Wide Web. And because of my job in marketing and advertising with the two companies I was with, I took a class about the internet. And when social media came along, I started trying all the different platforms just to see if they would have value for the company I worked for. And so I would try it first before recommending it at work. I fell in love with blogging immediately. I had been journaling for over 30 years every morning before I went to work. And then I started journaling publicly, basically, on my blog, Any Man's Territory. It's very much Minnesota-focused and Dylan-focused, and that's perfect for me. When I first met you, it was actually three years ago in person, and I was familiar with who you were before we actually met because of the blog. And when we met was actually at the More Blood, More Tracks uh, filming of the episode for Paul Metz's Wall of Power TV show. And there was only a a few of us there for the recording of that uh, television show. And you were there and you uh, had a 
pencil and a notepad and you were documenting everything. And uh, usually that's my role. So when I see somebody else doing that, I can tell, oh, this is going to be my kind of guy. Of course, I found out later we had all sorts of mutual friends in the Minnesota Bob Dylan community. So an event like that, it combines history, Bob Dylan, art and culture. So that's sort of the uh, the perfect combination of uh, things all coming into play for your blog. So uh, when I was a newspaper writer all those years, I, I always thought like documenting those sort of things and celebrating history was something that... I thought was pretty important. So are those kind of your motivations too for your blog or what drives you to uh, be so dedicated to it? Yes, that's certainly one of the motivations. I think that a lot of us have passions too and enjoy sharing our interests. And through the internet, well, as you know, in your personal life, you have some things you love, but not everybody else around you loves them. But then when you go online and you discover that there's a whole universe of people that share your passion. And I'll give one example. So I had a website. I started my website in 95. And when I saw Dylan the first time in 98 here at the deck, I wrote a long review of that concert. Well, then about five or six years later, I was Google to find my review. And instead, I found my review was on Bill Pagel's Bob Link's uh, website. And, you know, he had absconds everything that anybody has written about Dylan and any concert. And so then you up here, we had John Bushy had had a radio show for 26, 27 years, uh, Highway 61 Revisited. And I was in love with the show being a Dylan fan. And every Saturday night I would I would paint as an artist in my studio while listening to John's show. As it turns out, then through the show I discovered all these local Dylan fans. And then the bigger Dylan universe, of course, uh that you didn't know about. And so I'm not sure what the question was already because I veered into what made me passionate about sharing Dylan stories on my blog, I guess. Yeah, that's kind of what it was. Um, and I had the same experience when uh, the internet kind of became part of fan culture that I very much grew up in isolation in a small town. And I was the only person I knew that listened to Bob Dylan. And then once all these online avenues came into play, all of a sudden you could read things about Bob Dylan, listen to Bob Dylan and talk to other people about Bob Dylan. And that was, you know, a, a mind blowing experience at the time. I'm sure young people now are very used to the idea that there are online communities of like-minded people. And back then we were all at the same time kind of thrown into that. And it's a really interesting now 20 years on that it's a very common uh, thing yeah that's that's absolutely a, one beautiful part about social media or the internet and so that it's not all darkness with a lot of things that we know about too i'm not from duluth originally i grew up in cleveland and new jersey and i've been a dylan fan ever since i moved to jersey but when we came to Duluth in 86. The amazing thing for me was the front page of the paper had a story. They wanted, there were some people that wanted to name uh, a street Bob Dylan Way. And the city council opposed it. Now, I thought that was crazy. And I 
watched in the paper, and this went on for 10 years, and it went on for 20 years before they got Bob Dylan way up here. The surprise for me is that lack of embrace, although it's because of the Dylan Fest events and because of John Bushy's show, uh, Highway 61 Revisited, there's a lot more awareness and appreciation for what Dylan really did, and it's his worthy, uh, more than worthy of having a few streets named after him. I still insist that before I die, I want to name Fourth Street, which is just a block and a half from the house he was in, positively Fourth Street. It just, that's a no brainer. So how did a big Bob Dylan fan like you end up in Bob Dylan's hometown? Was that just a simple twist of fate or how did that happen? Uh, Yeah, that was a twist of fate. I, I met my wife. And she's from Duluth. And I think half the people here in Duluth met somebody from Duluth who we ended up here. We inherited a house in the Central Hillside, four blocks from that house that Bob lived in. And I didn't know it at the time where Bob's home was. But later when I learned, I I used to tell people once in a while that my wife's mother babysat him, and that was a total fiction. <laughs> but uh, he was here till he was six years old. He was born in the same hospital as my son, and my son went to Nettleton Elementary School for kindergarten, and then we moved out to the country, so I'm in a rural area. And Bob went to Nettleton also for that first year of elementary school and then moved to Hibbing. So there's a kind of some parallel history there, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So you sort of came to Duluth with an outsider's perspective as a fan. So that must have surprised you a little bit that there wasn't that much of an embrace of one of the most famous people on the planet coming from Duluth. Um, So what was it like when you got here? You said that they were hesitant to name things after him. Have you seen that improve over the years? And what, what do you think was like, uh, behind the people not really uh, embracing that history? I think a lot of ignorance, basically, because a lot of people say, well, he should have come back and performed here, and or he should have recognized Duluth more. And we, I've written about it on my blog, and some people have collected all the different times he references Duluth. He has never forgotten the Northland. The Northland is in his blood and it's in his heart and and in the memories and part of what shaped his personality, I believe. So he was um, not the person they thought he was. He, you know, he's, uh, but he doesn't owe us anything. Yet he he has acknowledged us and recognized us, and he's had three concerts here, and it's that we're all fabulous. So, but it's misunderstanding by people. So you said you were born in Cleveland and then uh, grew up in Jersey. So you told me a little bit before we went on that you were exposed to his music uh, several times at an early age, probably when you were pretty young and impressionable. So can you tell us about what you remember about those first encounters and the first time that his music entered your orbit? Moved to New Jersey. My dad was transferred there when the year I turned 12. And in seventh grade, which was the next fall, this kid on the school bus named Eddie Hilliker, we both shared an interest in music and he You've got to listen to this album. And it was freewheeling Bob Dylan. 
And that was my first exposure. And then the following year, when, um, uh, you know, some of his songs became singles that played out of New York. I don't know what the rest of the country music scene was, but the New York radio stations were were great. But um, Like a Rolling Stone was the longest song uh, at the time. It was six minutes and too long for, for the radio, but in the junior high school dance, it was... The, whenever that song played, I would go look for Nancy Black so I could dance with her because it's the longest slow dance song of the night. You know, it was kind of, I never even listened to the words. I knew nothing about it. it <laughs> so my early, I was too young to appreciate what most of the music was about. Although even in seventh grade, uh, how many roads must a man walk down before they call him a man? That that those the album had songs on it that you could understand if you were suddenly becoming aware to the bigger world. And I, I don't think four and five year olds can be aware they can appreciate the music, but the awareness of what was behind the lyrics was already beginning to sink in, even you know, in seventh grade. We were reading civic uh news stories in civics class, but it wasn't until a few years later that I really uh, connected to Dylan on the deepest level. And I had lost a friend uh, the first day of school, junior year, I was Paul Bearer in his funeral. And for three months, I was so emotionally distraught. It took me years actually to process the grief, but I felt like, TV and laugh tracks and all the stuff that was going on seemed so superficial. And it was like, there was nothing that had any depth to it in our pop culture. And it, it, I was like, I was in such inward turmoil and struggle with, you know, and all of a sudden it's all right, Ma, I'm only bleeding. I listened to that. And I, I knew it's like what we were saying earlier about social media. You find out you're not the only one. When I heard that song, I felt like I was not alone in the world. There's somebody out there who understands what's in my head and in my heart. And it was really where I connected. And I think every Dylan fan has some moment like that, I suppose. But that was mine. Uh, I went to college uh, at a time when New Morning and some of those albums were coming out, Self-Portrait was made fun of, but I enjoyed it even. The uh, uh, roommates of mine, a couple of those years, were all Dylan fans. They were from out east and uh, Dylan fans, and they turned me on to jazz. So I got an elevated view of life through the people you associate who share that with you. Yeah, I think one uh, aspect of Dylan's art that's interesting is that he brings a lot of defiance and individualism into a more palatable uh, medium. Like you wouldn't expect to hear 
propaganda all is phony or advertising signs they con you or fake morals and salt and stare. That stuff doesn't show up on pop records very often. So if you're just an average kid that's not reading beat poetry and not reading, you know, old, uh, you know, poetry volumes, you're not going to run into those kind of ideas. I had kind of the same experience when I heard bringing it all back home for the first time. I guess the, the idea that his albums that of the, that trilogy of albums kind of leads up to blonde on blonde being his seminal achievement. I always thought that bringing it all back home as, as far as at least what was on the page artistically was his greatest achievement. The side two of bringing it all back home. Uh, it's all right. Ma and gates of Eden uh, although, and Mr. Tambourine uh, yes, man. Absolutely. That's that was, but that trilogy cemented his importance as an artist for sure. You know, I, we've talked about this, uh, used to talk about it with the late John Bushy that essentially Dylan came out of the folk background, which was more cerebral. So the folk music was justice and, and consciousness and, and a, social awareness and the pop culture was, you know, I want to hold your hand. She loves you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, those were two different worlds and Dylan by entering into this other world elevated it so that afterwards all of what happened in the second half of the sixties and the music scene was, was definitely and directly uh, came out of what Dylan had done with those three albums. Yeah, so you were starting to say that uh, you kind of measured your life a little bit by the different albums as they were coming out. So how did that play out for you? Uh, he's got the album Together Through Life, and I think a lot of his fans feel like we're together through life with him and his music. So uh, what's that look like for you? Well, uh, I'll start by mentioning Together With Life. I, You can measure your life actually by the Dylan albums, what you were doing at each part of your life. And... T- Together Through Life came out when I was installing a, uh, an art show of artwork that I had produced to illustrate my blog down in West End here in Duluth. And for the two days that I was setting up that show, two or three days, that's all I played over and over was that album. And, and I fell in love with it for sure. When I uh, finished college, my life bottomed out, and I went through a different phase in my life, uh, and that led me into a, a more spiritual uh, searching, and uh, became a Christian. And then I ended up going to Bible school uh, in '76, and so I wasn't um, on the same path at the same time but while I was in Bible school and I've been a harmonica player by the way since freshman year in college and so when I was in Bible school and Bob came out with slow train coming a friend of mine came over and we were like he was calling him brother Bob you know he'd become part of the you know, the Christian family now. And so that was an exciting thing for some people. And it was a huge turnoff for others. My brother saw Dylan in Philadelphia during that three-year period. And the, the he was in the fourth row and the third row was all drunks 
basically cussing him out and shouting and being angry that he wasn't playing what they wanted to hear. But you got to admit, there was some great music on those. All three of those albums have uh, a lot of fabulous songs. And then when I finished Bible school, I went to Mexico, worked at an orphanage for a year, and then Infidels came out. Uh, this transition, some people thought he was abandoning what he'd become, but I felt like I understood exactly what was going on. Because like Bob, back in the 60s, I had a spiritual component. We all are on a different path, but I believe a lot of people really are aware that they're on a spiritual quest. And, you know, I remember in Rolling Stone or one of the pop magazines of that time, you know, somebody said that there's going to be a religion about Bob Dylan and Bob Dylan was, you know, it'll, you know, the new Messiah or whatever. It was a very interesting article, but it was pointing out how spiritual the, hit, the messages were, you know, within his songs frequently. So what happened after he, quote, abandoned Christianity, he didn't really abandon Christianity. I believe he just synthesized his spiritual experience into a like braiding the braids, uh, you know, uh, when you braid a rope, for example, you have dif different strands of your life and they all make you stronger. And so that spiritual part, instead of wearing it on his sleeve, he was, this is my view, he's incorporated into the meaning of his music. And you, you see it constantly recurring over the years in different songs and in different ways. I wasn't around in 1979, but uh, if anyone that's closely examined his music going all the way back and even since the Christian phase, uh, the themes of spirituality and justice and love and mortality and morality have always been there. Um, and I think they're the reasons that his music is so timeless. So I, I, I would say the last the last part of his catalog that I explored was his Christian phase because I didn't want to be preached to. And I, I had read enough times that his music wasn't as good during that time. And I didn't want to be disappointed, but when I did finally listen to it, I, it's just wonderful. And uh, it's so passionate. And uh, even though I'm not religious, it really moves me anyway. And when Bob decides yeah. he's going to go in a certain direction, he goes into it a hundred percent. And you, you really, I, I really admire that about his art. So, well, I, to just carry on with this uh, thought, I think Oh Mercy is such a fabulous album because it does the synthesis that we're, I was mentioning. You know, it's got those messages. That whole side, too, is so great. But uh, Ring Them Bells and Man in Long Black Coat, some of those, there's some really good stuff. And it starts with Everything's Broken. He's an observer uh, of things, and he doesn't, he doesn't miss anything, and and this these songs are reflect his observations, and we get to appreciate it. As I mentioned at the beginning, you're also a, a really talented visual artist. In addition to being a writer, I looked at your artwork online. You've got a lot of really cool Dylan pieces. I can't draw at all, and when I but when I do doodle, I end up drawing a lot of little Bob Dylans, just because he's cast such an iconic image and he's such a visually interesting guy so is that something is that something about him that 
just makes him an interesting uh, subject for you and your art? I justify doing so many paintings and drawings of Dylan the same way as some people. Okay, let's say Van Gogh did 34 self-portraits and they were all in different phases of his life. They all were capturing different moods by the colors and the shade. And But if I did 34 self-portraits, people would think they're, I mean, we live in a culture today that would look a little weird to, to for me to do that. It just seems, and I could be doing it just to learn how to paint a face, but it would look like something else. Well, Dylan's face is truly a fascinating face. It's evolved in so many fascinating ways. And I've done so many drawings and paintings of him, like I can paint him with just out of my head, you know, and just the creases and the shadows and the the different phases too, you know, the pencil thin mustache period and the boyish part of him. And he's just become a fascinating subject for an artist, I guess. And I just happened to also love the music. So it became natural. Some of my paintings are now in Brooklyn and in France and Australia and Canada. So it, that's gratifying too, because there's Dylan fans everywhere. And you've used your writing talent and your artistic talent uh, to contribute to the Duluth Dylan Fest over the years. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your involvement in that over the years and the different uh, ways that you've uh, helped with that event? Yes, that's uh, something that, again, that involved. I was just a fan listening on the radio again to the music and being told about this, some event that was happening. And I went to the armory. Uh, I was actually at a, uh, a jug band festival over in Canal Park with, for the day. And I slipped over to the armory just to go see what was going on over there because I heard that like the Hibbing people were coming down to Duluth and then they're catching their planes to go back to Europe or wherever. So all of a sudden I, I thought this is cool and I wrote about it. Well, then the following year I started going to the events and writing about them. And then I realized, you know, I'm the kind of like the PR guy for this group because they aren't, they don't have a, somebody who's writing as a journalist about the events. And I just filled in the gap and I then slowly became a member of the committee and I've been involved with developing uh, and marketing it actually. And extremely rewarding to be, have gotten to know all these other people who are just very, uh, hardworking and passionate and creative. It's the creative part of it. There's the music, of course, but there's, I could name names, I'll leave somebody out. But, uh, you know, uh, Zane Bale is kind of the head of the committee. She's the glue that holds things together. Uh, Phil Fitzpatrick is running the poetry event. He's part of the Duluth poetry scene, but Phil saw 
1963 when he opened for somebody else at Harvard. And so he's got a long history there and some good stories, actually. But there's, uh, and then of course, getting to know Bill Pagel, that's a, been a lot of fun. He was actually out at our place the other night. And now that he owns both of the houses Bob grew up in, it's uh, quite, quite fun, I guess, for an old Dylan fan and a lot of other people that have been involved. And you've uh, written, you mentioned uh, the Armory. That's obviously got a, that plays a very big role in the history of Bob in Duluth. Uh, he saw Buddy Holly there when he was 17, just three days before Buddy Holly died. And when Bob won the album of the year in 1998 for Time Out of Mind, he talked about seeing Buddy Holly at the Duluth Armory. I know you spent a lot of time researching and writing about that connection. Do you have some little known facts you can share with us about the Buddy Holly, Bob Dylan connection at the Armory? There's so many, actually, because I've written about this every year, but I, it is uh, interesting that Buddy Holly and the Crickets went to Europe, but when they came back from their European tour, they weren't getting paid right away, so they had to kind of slap this tour together to make make ends meet and have money, and had they been paid for their European tour, maybe Buddy Holly was would have had a full career and maybe he'd uh, be with us still considering how long Bob's gone on anything's possible but so that's item one and these guys were all from Buddy Holly and the, the Big Bopper and Richie Valens Waylon Jennings uh, Dean and the Belmonts they, they were from the south and they had no clue what they were getting into on a uh, an un uninsulated school bus that was going in 20 below weather. They were up here. Uh, it was 20 below wind chill that night that they were at the armory. And then the car, the bus broke down on the way to their next concert. The drummer got frostbite on his feet. It was just one series of mishaps after another, all triggered by the fact that they didn't get paid from that European tour. Another detail, you know, the song American Pie references the, the Beatles and Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones and Bob Dylan. I never knew until I was researching it. Where did the name Beatles come from? Do you know? Yeah, because of, of the crickets, the right? Crickets. Yeah. Yeah. John, John Lennon. When he saw Buddy Holly, and here's a guy who's black, he got glasses, and John can't see very well, and he's wore glasses. And, you know, I've read some of his letters that just like immediately it released his energy to be who he was. And that's why uh, the Beatles and the Stones were influenced in their first album. They uh, do Buddy Holly cover. And so the influence of Buddy Holly went far beyond what I ever realized when I was young. I just kind of thought, well, he was the 50s and now Dylan's everything. But the influence of as a singer-songwriter, that was pretty, pretty major. So some of us have on our radar the idea that maybe someday Bob could return to the Armory uh, or return to Hibbing Auditorium and play kind of a bringing it all back home tour. Uh, what's 
the construction timeline look like on the armory? Are, is there progress being made on those repairs? They have uh, finally completed the five major things that had to be done. They, they redid the entire drill hall floor. Now that was the fifth of the, and there's some other structural things that had to be dealt with. And that's another piece of this. When I first got involved with the Duluth Dillon Fest people, I didn't know there were actually three different groups. There was the Hibbing group, Dylan Days. There was the Armory uh, Arts and Music Center, and they each had different boards. So as an outsider, you don't exactly have a clear picture. And so slowly became aware, like one of the members of the Armory board, Nelson French, you know, his brother was the one that owned the house up in Hibbing that, that Bill Pagel bought. Uh, the, the Dylan house there, Gene LaFond, who was with um, Dylan and, and Larry Keegan and uh, back in the uh, Rolling Thunder tour. He lives up there, up on the North Shore right near Nelson. So there's all these little networks that uh, are all interconnected. But when as an outsider, you don't see that much of it. And then when you get to know Bill, you discover there's all these bigger networks with Tulsa, New York, and it's just like a, a spider web all over the world. You know, it's uh, really actually pretty interesting. So Bob turns 80 this year. Uh, what's going on in Duluth to celebrate that? Can you give us a little rundown of the agenda for uh, the Dillon Fest this year? It starts with the, the Miriam Hansen, who took over the Highway 61 show and has done a fabulous job. She, uh, She's going to have a special night of music for the opening, and it'll be a kickoff, and then there'll be different music events, some of them streaming, but some of them will be outside over uh, in a location in Superior that has lots of space. And then there'll be a poetry event. We're having a poetry contest, which I actually wrote about this morning or yesterday. And it's uh, we're looking for poets and there'll be a live poetry reading with an audience of five people that'll scream. <laughs> it's actually that's the I have to say I'm heartsick that we can't do it all the way it's always been, where people fly in from all over the world and we share in person. But you never know. Um, Right now, though, we're having events every night. There's going to be a singer-songwriter contest in which the winning song will be performed by a group called Song of the North Country. And they have been doing some songs that are very creative. You know, that style where everybody's on a different Zoom uh, and it's all wetted together and something magical happens. So... Those are some of the events, and we'll be putting that out on my blog and on Bob uh, com is a place to get information. Also, Facebook has a uh, Duluth Dillon Fest site. So, so you said your first show was 1998 at the deck. Have you gone to a lot of shows over the years since then? What's your live experience been like? There are, according to... Uh, David Kinney, there's different kinds of fans. There's the pilgrims, uh, 
who go to Duluth and Hibbing and the places Bob has lived. There's the Dillon scholars. It seems like you run into these people that are professors who've all taught a class and studied Dillon. There's the stalker crazy people. There's collectors like Bill Pagel. There's people that tape everything and then share those tapes. Uh, then there's the front rowers like Carolyn Schwartz and yourself, maybe. I'm a lyrics dis dissector. That's how I really got deeper was fascination with lyrics. A lot of show. No, I've gone to three. I, you know, I went to the that that first one blew me away because I had no idea. There's a a book titled performed literature by Betsy Bowden that she analyzed the shows and it was so insightful the book was because I understood after seeing a show that he's it's not just the lyrics it's not it's this the it's the whole thing it's the whole ball of wax it, uh, and I had no, no idea how into it he wasn't a performer and then i went to this paul simon one the following year that was outside at bayfront park and then and that was sloppy muddy the concert in bayfront park in 2013 was absolutely fantastic that was you were at the uh, saint paul show with bobby v the next night and then uh, that uh last tour in 2019 uh, I was again blown away. I, I that's the thing that's so amazing. Here's this guy, he's 78, and uh, it was like I he was so on, you know, he was so on point. He was uh, every aspect of that show was just a, a mystical experience. So that was uh, in Mankato, but um. So I've been to four. Yeah, we were no, in about no. the we were in about the twentieth row for that show and had no intention of standing the entire show, but it was really amazing that as the songs went on and on, nobody sat down and there was just this communal feel like the whole audience was just so excited to uplift Bob and the band and embrace him. You know, he hadn't been back in a few years and he was in Minnesota and there was so much uh, camaraderie and feeling of community. And I feel that with people that like Bob Dylan and love Bob Dylan anyway. Um, so it really, it's as close as I get to a spiritual experience when I'm, you know, 30 feet from Bob Dylan and I'm with thousands of other people that appreciate what's happening. And, and like you said, it's so much more than the songs. He, uh, breathes life into them theatrically in a way that's really underappreciated. So, uh, so that, that's an element yeah, of it that really funny. speaks to me too. I totally, totally agree that, you know, when he was, he was just like the energy coming out of him. It was unbelievable for, you know, two hours straight. So you said you're, there's the different types of fans and what speaks to you most is kind of the lyrics on paper. Well, the lyric dissectors is one of the chapters of David Kinney's book, uh, The Dylanologists, yeah, which actually begins by talking about Bill Pagel. Uh <laughs> Had, did you read that book? No, I was meaning to buy it. No, I read some segments from it, but I haven't read yeah, the whole thing. It's worth it's worthwhile. Um, he actually 
is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who came up for having, you know, Dylan, uh, the Dylan, um, Dylan days up there. And, uh, there was a Grammy, Grammy show of, of photography and it was a pretty big deal, but he, uh, Kenny, uh, pretended he didn't know who Bill Pagel was. And Bill, he asked Bill if he was driving back to the cities, to Duluth. And so Bill said, yeah. And so then he let him get in the car. And he, Bill is, was, is a shy person who's not like ready to put himself out there. So he didn't know what to do. He had this journalist for 90 minutes. <laughs> he had to, uh, keep going or else put this guy out on the side of the highway when he started asking questions. It was an interesting story. Bill's very humorous too. He's, he's quite an interesting guy. Yeah. I mean, that's meeting uh, the different interesting characters in the universe of Bob Dylan fans is kind of the premise of this entire show. So uh, I've appreciated uh, Bill and his uh, quietness and, uh, you with your journalistic uh, abilities and and the great stories you've shared over the years. So uh, thanks so much for your work on the blog over the years. I've really uh, enjoyed it. So one time I was with Bill and John Bushy uh, at a pizza place, and I never said a word because I wish I, I could memorize every word they were saying because they were talking shop. <laughs> it was, uh, that's when I realized what a privilege it is to be in Duluth, I guess, uh, being part of the, these circles. I'm just a guy who's a fan, really. Well, that's why we're here uh, on the Bobcats. So uh, thanks, Ed, for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been a real treat. Thank you, Matt. You can find Ed's blog, his artwork, and links to his books on his Anyman's Territory blog at pioneerproductions.blogspot.com. You can find back episodes of this podcast on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, thank you for listening, and be sure to join us next time for another episode of The Bobcats. Pointed threats, they bluff with scorn Suicide remarks are torn From the fool's gold mouthpiece The hollow horn plays wasted words Proves to warn that he not busy being born Is busy dying Temptation's page flies out the door You follow, find yourself at war Watch waterfalls of pity roar You feel the moan, but unlike before You discover that you just be one more person crying So don't fear If you hear A foreign sound To your ear it's all right, Ma, I'm only sighing. In the air, my dear sweet friend, I remember Is there anything in addition to your songs that you want to say to people?
Good luck. Good nerve. You don't say that in your song, do you? Yes, I do. Every song tails off with good luck. <laughs> I hope you make it. <laughs>